This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you could have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. If I asked you how many subscriptions you have, would you be able to list all of them and how much you're paying? If you would have asked me this question before I started using Rocket Money, I would have said yes. But let me tell you, I would have been so wrong. I can't believe how many I had and all the money I was wasting. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over 500 million in canceled subscriptions. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. That's rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. Rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. This episode is brought in part to you by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like James Patterson's first audio-only thriller, The Coldest Case. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. Good morning. I'm Charles Osgood, and this is Sunday Morning. As you may have heard, Supreme Court Justice Antonin Scalia died yesterday at the age of 79. Martha Teichner will have more on his life and what his passing means for the court in just a few minutes. We'll also be taking time to observe this St. Valentine's Day, but only after a bit of northern exposure, cold as it is in much of the country this morning, it can't be cold enough for the creatures Lee Cowan will be taking us to visit. They are majestic and adorable and terrifying, all rolled into one. Polar bears are a rare sight for most of us, but not if you make the trip north to Churchill, Manitoba, as we did. Is it safe to walk around Churchill? Um, I'd say it's safe to walk around Churchill in the day. Uh, I wouldn't say so at night. Where polar bears wait for winter ahead on Sunday morning. 
Strings of X's and O's are a traditional flourish to Valentine's and love letters. And now the revival of a play may keep the tradition of love letters alive. With Serena Altshul, we'll have a front row seat. How do you bring back a play about love letters in the era of email? I know you more from your letters than I do in person. By reuniting one of Hollywood's most famous couples. Love means never having to say you're sorry. Ryan O'Neill and Ally McGraw together again for the first time since Love Story. The audience murmurs. They remember us. Ahead this Sunday morning, the love letter standing the test of time. She writes the songs that many of the biggest performers of our time want to sing. Her name is Diane Warren. And this morning, she and Lady Gaga are talking with our Ben Tracy. I mean, you've worked with everyone. Faith Hill, Christina Aguilera, Celine Dion, Ricky Martin. She is a songwriting machine. You've been called the song whisperer. <laughs> Do you like that? I love that, because I think I am. We sit down with songwriter Diane Warren and talk about her new collaboration with Lady Gaga. I know I feel really and truly like I bared my soul. Tell it to you. Ahead on Sunday morning. Here's a question for loving couples to ponder. Could anything be better than sex? Hannah Warner has traveled to Key West to find out. Darling, you Delicious. What could be better than sex? Mm. One restaurant may just have the answer. Better than some sex, that's for sure. Unbelievable. It's a huge bite. Later on Sunday morning, mm. a restaurant with a tall order. Tracy Smith talks love songs and more with singer Chris Isaac. Mo Rocca takes in a first family's reunion. With Steve Hartman, we visit a museum for two. Next, remembering Justice Antonin Scalia. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. As you've heard, Supreme Court Justice Antonin Scalia died yesterday at the age of 79. His passing marks the end of a remarkable career. It also portends a contentious fight to replace him. Here's Martha Teichner. I could be charming and combative at the same time. What's, what's, what's contradictory between the two? I love to argue. It may well be that I'm something of a shin kicker. Antonin Scalia has been described as blunt, witty, scathing, sarcastic, and even by his adversaries, brilliant. He will no doubt be remembered as one of the most consequential judges and thinkers to serve on the Supreme Court. I, I care about the original meaning. What was He believed in what he called originalism, that the U.S. Constitution should be interpreted exactly as the founding fathers understood it. This is what he told Leslie Stahl in a 60 Minutes interview. I'm not saying no progress. I'm saying we should progress democratically. Yeah. You, you think there ought to be a, a right to abortion? No problem. The Constitution says nothing about it. Create it the way most rights are created in a democratic society. Pass a law. In three decades on the Supreme Court, Scalia shaped conservatism. 
The 2008 ruling stating for the first time that the Second Amendment gave Americans the right to own a gun for self-defense, one of his many majority opinions. His dissents were often withering. The opinion legalizing gay marriage, he said, is as pretentious as its content is egotistic. Whenever anyone questioned the court's decision in Bush v. Gore, the case that determined the outcome of the 2000 presidential election, he replied, We did the right thing, so, so there. <laughs> Born in Trenton, New Jersey, Antonin Scalia grew up in New York City in Queens, the only child of an immigrant from Sicily. He met his wife Maureen while he was at Harvard Law School. Devoted Catholics, they have nine children. President Ronald Reagan appointed him to the Supreme Court in 1986. As prickly as he could be, Scalia was well-liked among his colleagues. I attack ideas. I don't attack people. And some very good people have some very bad ideas. His best friends on the court? Liberal justices Elena Kagan and Ruth Bader Ginsburg. That's Ginsburg and Scalia together on an elephant. As annoyed as you might be about his zinging dissent, he is so utterly charming, so amusing, so sometimes outrageous. You can't help but saying, I'm glad that he's my friend or he's my colleague. He always insisted that his judicial philosophy was dictated by the Constitution only. But his death instantly turned the political arena bloody. I plan to fulfill my constitutional responsibilities to nominate a successor. Another Obama Supreme Court appointment could tip the 5-4 majority from conservative to liberal. Justice the Republicans' position? absolutely clear at last night's GOP debate in South Carolina. I, I think that we ought to let the next president of the United States decide. The Senate needs to stand strong and say, we're not going to give up the U.S. Supreme Court for a generation by allowing Barack Obama to make one more liberal appointee. Delay, delay, delay. Antonin Scalia loved a good fight. The battle over who names his successor on the Supreme Court will be huge. Coming up, where the polar bears are. Appreciating one of our continent's most remarkable creatures requires a little northern exposure. Our cover story is reported now by Lee Cowan. On the edge of Canada's Arctic, along the western shore of Hudson Bay. It's easy to think you've reached the ends of the earth. In fact, you can feel like you're utterly alone up here. But then, out in all that white, a pair of sleepy dark eyes slowly open, revealing what we came all this way to see. And apparently, the world's largest land predator came to see us, too. I mean, for me, this is mind-blowing, but how rare is this to see here? 
Well, it's pretty common to see polar bears out here this time of year, but it's not as common to see a big old male like that just come and lay down right next to the buggy. It's unreal. So, yeah, that's a pretty impressive sight. The buggy is a tundra buggy. It's sort of a cross between a tour bus and a monster truck. And it's where Steve Amstrup does much of his work as chief scientist for Polar Bears International, a private group campaigning for the bears' conservation. Oh, look at here, he's getting up. So what do you, what do you, what do you think when you see that? Well, you know, I've, I've been working with polar bears for uh, 35 years now, and uh, I still, every time I see them, it's, holy cow, there's a real wild polar bear. It's, they're, they're just incredible creatures. We're near Churchill, Manitoba, a remote frontier town that proudly calls itself the polar bear capital of the world. It is isolated, to be sure. You can't even get to this town by road. But every fall, these giants of the north come here in droves to wait for Hudson Bay to freeze back over so they can start eating again. The polar bear's main source of food is seal meat, and the easiest way for the bears to hunt them is from the ice above. As their chow line grows on land, another migration rolls up to watch. Freezing. A quiet stampede of eco-tourists, anxious to catch a glimpse of an animal whose future is as hotly debated as climate change itself. In the United States, uh, we have listed polar bears as a threatened species under the U.S. Endangered Species Act. And they were listed as threatened not necessarily because of their current status, but because of what we anticipate their future status to be. And what he anticipates their future status might be has Amstrup worried, but he knows not everyone is wringing their hands. Currently, it's estimated there are between 20 to 25,000 polar bears in the wild. Now, to many, that's a pretty sizable number. And some of the bears, especially in the upper reaches of the Arctic, seem to be doing quite well. They lose about a kilogram of body weight, or about two pounds of body weight, for every day they're on land. Every day. But what concerns Amstrup the most are the bears here, who he says are experiencing the effects of climate change right now. These guys are on land now a whole month longer than they were just 30 years ago. We could say, well, yeah, one population might be doing well now, but we know that soon all of the populations will have less sea ice than they do now. Some of them will have no sea ice. Those who track sea ice levels, like the National Snow and Ice Data Center, say the seasonal ice here in the southernmost region of the polar bear's habitat is already melting earlier and freezing later. That means bears are marooned on land longer and getting hungrier. How long has he gone without eating a full meal? They came ashore uh, this year, I think, in uh, about the middle of July. And so he really hasn't had much to eat since then. In November, when we were there, the bears were spending most of their time just lounging about, trying to conserve energy, which makes them pretty easy to find and photograph. And let's face it, nothing makes for a better photo op than a scratching, relaxing polar bear. Oh, 
While they look as friendly as they are fuzzy, truth is, they are one of nature's perfect killing machines. Their enormous size and strength are part of the allure. I mean, so many people have told me now, this is their bucket list. Kevin Burke is one of Churchill's few locals, and he takes great joy in showing tourists his frozen backyard. A lot of the activity lately, as the new ice forms in, the bears are out checking the ice. Let's go down there and check it out. He drives one of those tundra buggies for Frontiers North, an adventure tourism company providing bundled up enthusiasts the chance of a lifetime. Whoa. Oh my God, oh my God. She's going after the other one. Africa. Oh, look at the bears don't seem to mind the intrusion. In fact, many are downright curious of the tundra buggies. On occasion, a bit too curious. And a lot of times, you, I've, you know, through the years, I've watched the bears there. They'll push back and they'll get in the ground and they'll kind of walk along and stuff like that. So my, my, my opinion is, I don't think we smell all that appealing to them. We might not smell too appealing, but the food in town does. There are warning signs posted everywhere, reminding the town's residents to be bear aware, as they call it. And we quickly found out why. Okay, they're getting way too close to Mike now. Yeah. This mom and her two cubs wandered right up behind us on a busy road just outside of town. Mike. Mike. She came within a few feet of our camera only to be chased by another car of looky-loos back into the trees. Is it safe to walk around Churchill? Um, I'd say it's safe to walk around Churchill in the day. Uh, I wouldn't say so at night. Brett Willock is a Manitoba conservation officer. Right over here, you can see him walking away oh, from yeah. us. Yeah. His job? To keep polar bears away from people. Which is a good sign these walking That's away, a good right? sign, yeah. Yeah, we want that to happen. If they can't scare the nuisance bears away, well, they capture them. So back here is where we keep one of our traps. 50 to 60% of the bears, at least half the bears we capture this year have been at this trap. The wayward bears are brought here to what the locals call polar bear jail. make sure they're not tempted to come back to town again, the bears are given no food, just water. We don't want them to associate food to, to humans or to that building. We're gonna hold them in there for 30 days. That's 30 days closer to the, the time the ice is gonna form on the bay, which is when they're going to go out and hunt seals. And it's also uh, 30 days away from the problem behavior that caused them to go there in the first place. When their sentence is up, they're tranquilized and then airlifted back out into the tundra. Not lost on anyone here is the carbon footprint left behind by those who travel all this way to witness all things polar bear. So all the tourists that show up here, does that help or hurt? I think that for many people, seeing something in person seeing how things are now and hearing how they used to be, and seeing the magnificent species of the polar bear right in front of them, uh, suddenly they can become inspired in a way that they might never have become inspired before. You know, I studied polar bears in Alaska for uh, most of my adult life. 
And one of the last things I did was predict that they were going to disappear. So it's a little hard for me to talk about, but to think that they might be gone, I don't want to think about that. So I want to do what I can to stop it. And I think we are. I think we are making progress. Most agree progress was made at the Global Climate Change Conference in Paris last year, when representatives of 195 nations agreed for the very first time to lower planet-warming greenhouse gases. In the meantime, the polar bears here and all around the vast reaches of the Arctic will continue to do what they have always done, survive the best they can in whatever conditions are thrown their way. Ahead. My great-great-grandfather was the first cousin of James K. Polk. I'm the ninth generation descendant of President Thomas Jefferson and his slave Sally Hemings. So I'm the All the president's relatives. Our nation's first families have particular reason to celebrate President's Day tomorrow, even as they look forward to the real party coming up in April. Moraka looks ahead. Welcome to Marshfield, Missouri, home of the Missouri Cherry Blossom Festival. Sit back, enjoy the tea, enjoy the goodies. What exactly is the Missouri Cherry Blossom Festival? A hodgepodge of American history and culture. From football to hee-haw. I think it's a slice of America that would surprise you. If you are a presidential descendant, would you stand? Well, for starters, it's the annual meeting place for relatives of past U.S. presidents. I'm the great-granddaughter of President Calvin Coolidge. My great-great-grandfather was the first cousin of James K. Polk. I'm the ninth-generation descendant of President Thomas Jefferson and his slave Sally Hemings. Every spring, presidential descendants descend... Ulysses S. Grant. ...on this quaint town. President Clinton's stepfather, Roger Clinton, is my grandfather, Roy Clinton's little brother. I see the resemblance. It's you and Mary Todd Lincoln. Yes. They all come to celebrate their heritage. And partisanship is put on hold. So this is really the one day a year that a half-brother-in-law of President John F. Kennedy can rub elbows with a niece of President Richard Nixon. <laughs> I think it's pretty special, all of us here. What happens there, though, his... In Marshfield, all presidential progeny are welcome. I'm Bertram Hayes Davis, and I'm a great-great-grandson of Jefferson Davis, president of the Confederate States of America. And old grievances are set aside. So this is just a great scene. I mean, I just have to say, so you've got a descendant of Thomas Jefferson and Sally Hemings with a descendant of Jefferson Davis. That's right. And you guys, you guys are very friendly. Yeah, well, we've been coming here for a lot of years. We get to know each other. We're just talking about him coming up to visit us in New York. We're like, come on, when are you coming? So rumor has it he was very fond of pastries. George Cleveland is President Grover Cleveland's grandson. Grover Cleveland is our 22nd and 24th president. That's right, screws up the whole count. But it's also unique. It is unique. There's something about being a presidential descendant that only presidential descendants can understand. Gracious Heavenly Father. It was Reverend Nicholas Inman's idea to invite all these people to Marshfield. They found a camaraderie between one another that is pretty amazing. 
you know, and it was kind of a story of my grandpa beat your grandpa, but hey, we can be friends now. Inman was in the fourth grade when our 41st president came to town. President George H.W. Bush visited uh, Marshfield, Missouri here in July of 1991, and I really became interested in the president's. But wait a minute, who's that over there? Why, it's Carolyn Grimes, Zuzu from It's a Wonderful Life. Daddy? Teacher says, every, every time a bell rings, an angel gets his wings. She's here because the Missouri Cherry Blossom Festival also honors stars of classic films and sitcoms. That's why we love them. Just go with it. Being a legend is being pretty lucky. Look, there's Maggie Peterson. She played Charlene on The Andy Griffith Show. Oh, Paul, can't I even look at the pretty man? Over there, that's Lulu Roman from Hee Haw. Did a president yes. ever appear on Hee Haw? Uh, Jimmy Carter did. Ginger was a lucky cat. And yes, that's Mary McDonough and Cammie Cotler, two of the daughters from the Waltons. The Waltons were in Virginia. Virginia is not even contiguous with Missouri, just saying. <laughs> no, but the Ozarks are hills, and the Blue Ridge Mountains are hills. It's kind of like you took U.S. history and culture mm -hmm. and Missouri and put them all in a blender. And then exploded. And adding to the excitement, Marshfield has its own walk of fame. And it really was supposed to be a three hour tour. <laughs> Where we caught up with walk none other than Don Wells. Imagine everybody being rescued. Mary Ann from Gilligan's Island. I'm not on Hollywood Boulevard, I'm right here. That's pretty good, isn't it? That's pretty good. It means a lot more. Who am I next to? Your two stars away from Charles Lindbergh. And you're diagonally away from Amelia Earhart. That's pretty great. So you like flying, I hope. I hope. Better than sailing. Okay. <laughs> and this April, it'll happen all over again. They've become a family now. And who knows what new connections might be made. Well, maybe I'm related to Thomas Jefferson, too. He did have a lot of kids. You never know. <laughs> Come, you're part of the family. Come on, cuz. There we go. Here we are. We're all one big family. One big family. Hilarious. I got the lovesick blue. Still to come. Chris Isaac sings his heart out. And later, Lady Gaga with songwriter Diane Warren. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. Wicked Game was a 1990 Chris Isaac hit about obsessive love. And all these years later, his songs about love still draw a crowd. Tracy Smith talks with Chris Isaac for the record. On a bone-chilling day in San Francisco a few weeks back, hundreds of people stood in the cold just to see local boy Chris Isaac run through soundcheck. The show was still hours away, but Isaac was at his mellow, melancholy best. I know somebody may cry. For more 
more than 30 years, the 59-year-old singer has been making hits and breaking hearts. Crooning about bad breakups and lost love with a signature sound that's part rock, part Elvis, and all sexy. You ever love someone so much you thought your little heart was gonna break in two? So many of your songs are about heartache. Mm -hmm. Why is that? That's what brings out the most emotion in this world. Uh, love or lack of. And when, you're, when your heart's broken, I think that's about as most, most emotional as it gets. Isaac says this song, his haunting 1989 single, Wicked Game, came to him one night in a flash. And it was very fast I wrote that song. How fast? Between the time I talked to a certain woman and hung up the phone and the time she rang the front doorbell in the middle of the night, and I had written that song. Knock about, it off, really? Yeah, it was that very fast, very fast. What a wicked thing to do. The song was his first big hit and helped make him an instant sex symbol. But the steamy music video that went with it, shot on location in Hawaii with model Helena Christensen, was even hotter than it looked. And the, behind us, people thought that was like a smoke uh, added in a back projection or something like that. And that's actually, we're standing about 30 feet from the water on a lava flow. And it was flowing into the ocean behind us and boiling up the steam just I mean, we could have got killed. We could have got killed. It was blowing up big, like, chunks of molten, like, lava. Every once in a while, we'd go, just out of the, like, into the air, and everybody go, like, heads up. Oh, my goodness. So you risked your life for that video. Yeah, and I learned something. Just because there's a camera running doesn't mean you won't get killed. <laughs> Truth is, not much scares him anymore. Chris Isaac grew up on the tough side of Stockton, California, the youngest of three boys. Dad drove a forklift. Mom was a factory worker who stretched every paycheck by shopping at the local thrift store. And it wasn't like we were just going for fun. We would go, like that's where we got our clothes and we got everything. My grandparents grew up here and my great-grandparents are here. Wow. And I don't know how, you know, usually in a town when you have somebody's great grandparents there, they own the town. In my town, we managed to stay broke for generation after generation. I don't know, that was a lot. Excuse me one second, that might fit. Oh, come on, yes, try it. Not me, though. No, uh, no, I got a big head. And he's worn a lot of different hats. In college, he was an amateur boxer and made amateur music with a guitar his big brother Nick had taught him to play. And one night he says, okay, teach me what you know. And I taught him everything I know. It took 15 minutes. But if you ever cheat on me, well, and those guitar lessons stuck. Isaac has been touring since the 80s and still plays every show like it's his last. He's taken a break now and then for the occasional movie and TV role. Get off my back. Including his own cable TV show. I'll be right back. 
meantime, you stay very hot like the jalapenos. Adios. How close was the Showtime Chris Isaac to the real Chris Isaac? How close is Bullwinkle to a real moose? <laughs> I won't show you, see you somehow. And sometimes, when he's not singing for a crowd, Chris Isaac sings here at his boyhood home in Stockton. I got the lovesick blue. With his now 85-year-old mom, Dorothy. And then usually at the end, she dances for quarters. And he still comes home and does things around the house for you. Cleans the yard. He cleans the yard? Yeah, I miss that. <laughs> That's true. When he's on the road, you don't get that treatment as much. I'm, I'm a good yard worker. His own backyard is a few miles away in San Francisco, near his favorite surfing beach. How much time do you get to spend out here? Uh, I try to get out as often as I can. You know, I'm, it's not like I'm a brain surgeon. I'm a songwriter. Nobody needs me during the day. He's usually out here alone. Chris Isaac has never been married, but that doesn't mean he can't commit. Isaac has been with some of the guys in his band for something like 30 years. Drummer Kenny Dale Johnson never missed a gig until an illness nearly broke up the act. Kenny got cancer and he took off a little while and he's come back and there's a happy ending to it. He's, he's good. He's over it. Cancer free? Yeah, cancer free. Ooh. That gets to you. Scares the hell out of me. I don't want you, but I want you. Turns out the great loves of Chris Isaac's life, besides his family, are his bandmates and the feeling that comes from singing his heart out. When I love you, if you're lonely you were joking uh, with your mom about how you guys went out and played and some guy said, oh yeah, that's, that's Chris Isaac. Yeah. He, that's, a true, that's a true story. And what did yeah. he say? He, My brother heard this and told me it was laughing. The girl turned to the guy and said, that's Chris Isaac. And the guy said, yeah, he used to be big. He used to be big. Yeah. Does that bug you? Not at all. I think it's fun. It's Funny. I'm not at all bothered, but, but and I'm really happy with the way my life is going. Because you I, joke. I mean, you joke. I don't want to tempt the gods to even look down here because if they do, they look, they go, that guy, he's having too much luck. I mean, everything good here, boss. Everything good here. You look at other people. I'm doing great. It's a big one. Whoa, 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 what about the Just ahead, the comedian yeah, Paul Reiser. It's Valentine's Day again. Not quite feeling the love. How does anyone not love Valentine's Day? Let's let actor and comedian Paul Reiser count the ways. Well, here we are. It's Valentine's Day again, and I have to say, I find the whole thing irritating. Not because I'm a curmudgeon or anti-love. Quite the opposite. I'm a big fan of love. I just don't like being told by strangers that I have to demonstrate it on this day in the following ways. And unless you're in the flower, chocolate, jewelry, or greeting card business, I don't see how you benefit. If you're a grown-up, anyway. If you're in second grade, sure. 
Why not give a sweet heart-shaped card and a piece of candy to the cute girl two rows behind you? But even that, that's been ruined by the whole mandatory, we don't want anyone to feel left out, so give cards to the whole class approach. Because nothing says, I think you're special, more than, I made 34 of these, here. Still, for young people, it's sweet, because they don't know anything yet. But for grown-ups, I've learned that these grand, lovely gestures invariably mean nothing. Yes, forgetting Valentine's Day can be bad, but remembering it is not that much better. The half-life of lovely gestures is shockingly short. Whatever good will you think you'll engender only lasts till it all goes bad. And guys are always surprised by this. You do something loving and thoughtful, and your loved one is moved and demonstrably affectionate in return. It's all good. The next day, one carelessly worded comment in you right back where you started. And you think, whoa, 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 what about the flowers and the candy? Yeah, that was yesterday, and I didn't care for what you said this morning. So you have to ask, what's the point of a great Sunday if it's all shot to hell by Monday? It's like vacuuming the beach. You never really make any progress. Fortunately, one of the first things my wife and I bonded over when we first met, ironically, was our mutual distaste for Valentine's Day. We both felt it's far more meaningful to be affectionate, thoughtful, and considerate the other 364 days of the year. That's the more noble challenge. So in our house, we don't even celebrate Valentine's Day, which is a great relief. Having said that, yeah, I'm going to pick up some flowers anyway because yeah, why take a chance? Coming up, the stars of Love Story. Couldn't I see you? You're all I have left. On Love Letters. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. X's and O's are the marks of a football play, a game of tic-tac-toe, or a love letter. And as Serena Altschul now tells us, keeping the love letter alive is the goal of a stage play with a uniquely qualified cast. My father says everyone should write letters as much as they can. It's a dying art. He says letters are a way of presenting yourself in the best possible light to another person. I think that too. Forget about texts and tweets. The old-fashioned love letter is having its moment again in a national tour of A.R. Gurney's 1989 play, Love Letters. Oh, Andy, couldn't I see you? You're all I have left. Audiences around the country have been lining up to see Ali McGraw and Ryan O'Neill, cleverly cast as the show's star-crossed lovers, Melissa and Andy. If I went to a psychiatrist, I'd talk about you. Seriously, I would. I think about you quite often. It's the first time the two have worked together since Love Story, the legendary 1970 tearjerker that was a box office smash. Jenny, I'm sorry. Don't. Love means never having to say you're sorry. As we step out, the audience murmurs. They murmur because they know us. They remember us. Their lives changed in many ways when they saw that movie. They Ladies. married or they had children or they named their children after us. Would you please hold me? I really believe that the audiences, whether it's conscious or subconscious, are throwing themselves back those 40 years, which for most of us was so much more innocent, so much more romantic, so much more full of, of hope than it is right now. 
Nostalgia is in the air as O'Neill and McGraw play characters reading the letters they send one another over the course of 50 years. Merry Christmas and Happy New Year and much love. Much love? Much love? God, Andy, how sexy. Playwright A.R. Gurney. Do you think Andy and Melissa's relationship could exist today over text and email? I don't think so. I, I, I don't think so. How is a letter written by email different than a handwritten ink? Because it doesn't have the personal nature of the penmanship. Right. It doesn't have the sense of thought. Since when you're writing with a pen, you're thinking about what you're doing. The handwriting and the, even the smell of the page mm-hmm. are very powerful essences for me. Right, like poetry and truth, and guts about feelings, real courage, not just platitudes. I wrote you every day for a year. You wrote me? Yes. From The Notebook. It was you, I swear. To Cyrano de Bergerac, who understood the power of words. And the dear foolish words, that was you. Love letters have long had a special place in our hearts. But in this era of always-on instant communication, are love letters destined to go the way of the rotary phone? Dennis Depsick worries they are. He and his wife Maggie were married for 41 years. Shortly after she died, Dennis found a mysterious box in the closet. I brought the box down and put it on the bed and opened it and stood there absolutely stunned. In that box were all the letters that Maggie and I had written to each other when I was in the Army. There were 119 letters. Please don't apologize for not being able to answer all my letters. I don't want you to feel that you owe me a letter. I write to you because I enjoy it, silly. And just seeing that handwriting and knowing that it was always there through our entire married life just brought her back to me. It just, I mean, I, 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 my hands were shaking. I, I was, tears were ro- rolling down my eyes. It was, it was just amazing. <laughs> what is it? Patrick Garrity and Christy Demmel never wrote letters to one another, but that didn't stop their romance from blossoming. When it came time to find a gift for the couple's first anniversary, Patrick got creative. We had a whole history um, by text. So Patrick printed those text messages and had them bound in a hardcover album. Thousands of messages chronicling their entire relationship from the day they first met through their first anniversary. This was two weeks in. I wrote, um, I can't believe how happy I am. Uh, You're amazing. How do we manage this? This is so unreal. And then it was, you know, you can repay me in kisses and snuggles. Oh, God, we said that. That's so embarrassing. (laughs) So cute. You make me very happy, sweetie. It's very mutual. Is that something important to you, that you have this concrete thing now? I think so. I think it's a nice little history, especially um, one day when we're not here. You know, our kids have this, they can kind of look back at how mom and dad met and uh, the conversations that they had. (laughs) I mean, some of it, but... Maybe not all. (laughs) Not all. (laughs) Even if writing love letters is going out of style, Love Letters, the play, seems as popular as ever. 
In the 25 years since it first appeared on Broadway, it's been staged hundreds of times in more than 40 countries. And when the show came to Boston this month, O'Neill and McGraw returned to Harvard. Remember us? <laughs> Where that other couple, they're famous for playing, first met and fell in love. I like to go to the movies rather than watching it on my laptop. Speaking to students, some still glued to their smartphones, they made the case for the old-fashioned way. Only with letter writing could it be communicated. I don't see how you could text this story to each other. This letter, which I'm writing with my own hand, with, with my own pen and my own penmanship, comes from me and no one else. I don't think they're going to go away. I don't think, as the decades accrue, that there are a lot of people who are really going to put that time in. But there are some of us. You can tear me up and throw me out, or keep me, and read me, today, tomorrow, anytime you want until you die. Oh boy, Andy. Love, Melissa. <laughs> Next. She didn't like that one because they caught her laughing with food in her mouth. <laughs> yeah. Steve Hartman at a museum with heart. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. We celebrate love in any number of ways. Steve Hartman takes us to a museum for two. Around Starkville, Mississippi, retired mail carrier Charles Evans is known mostly for his questionable taste in lawn furnishings. But I came here <laughs> for something undeniably beautiful. The man with the plan. <laughs> Charles met his wife Louise back in 1949. When you looked at her, it's <coughs> oh. like electrical shock. Really? I guess it's love. To Charles, true love is so powerful, nothing can stop it. That's a big four-letter word. Nothing. Straighten it out. Which is why, after she died in 2011, after 60 years of marriage, he decided a grave marker wasn't enough, that their love deserved more than a monument. What their love needed was a museum. And so, in a little outbuilding behind his house, Charles Evans built just that. This is our memorabilia area. Inside, he's got the shoeshine stand he was working at when he met her. He's got all the music they used to dance to. And he's got four walls packed solid with pictures, documenting every significant occasion. And this was we went out to lunch. And most every insignificant occasion. This was a different place at lunch. <laughs> different lunch. And this, she didn't like that one because they caught her laughing with food in her mouth. <laughs> Needless to say, he doesn't get a whole lot of visitors, which is fine by Charles. It's our last dance. In fact, you get the sense he almost enjoys his alone time more. On slow days, he slow dances with Louise. I guess I'm trying to relive our life, would you think? <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. I, it's, it's so hard to explain, you know. But it's not a suffering memory, it's a beautiful memory, you know. Sometimes people try to tell Charles to move on. But in his mind, why would you want to make a bunch of new memories? Us again. When the old ones are still so good. Yeah, she was lovely. That's a beautiful picture there too, see. 
Still to come, vocals by Lady Gaga, words and music by Diane Warren. Oh, you don't know what you've done to me. And later... You like? David Edelstein looks at love in the movies. It's Sunday morning on CBS, and here again is Charles Osgood. Lady Gaga won two Grammys for her 2009 hit Bad Romance. Come tomorrow night's Grammy Awards here on CBS, a new song of hers is in contention. A song with words and music by Diane Warren. She writes the songs that people remember and talk about. Ben Tracy tells us more. Tell me how the hell could you know? Lady Gaga performed her haunting new song at Billboard's recent Women in Music event. Till it happens to you, you won't know, it won't believe. Till It Happens to You is about surviving sexual assault. It was a work in progress by legendary songwriter Diane Warren for the documentary The Hunting Ground about rape on college campuses. But when Gaga came on board, she wanted to make the song even more powerful. The melody was beautiful, but maybe it didn't go to the place that I felt that it needed to go for it to, at the end, arrive in a triumphant place. You wanted this to be kind of epic in the end. Yeah, the, till it happens to you, happens to you. At the end of that song, that's a warrior singing that. That's a warrior. That's a warrior. <laughs> that's a warrior. Till it happens to you. The song is deeply personal to both women because it happened to them. Both of you have survived sexual assault. Yeah. How emotional was this to record this song? To your answer. I mean. I know I feel really and truly like I bared my soul. And it wasn't until I was almost, I think, 27 years old that I did even like acknowledge that this happened in my life. I was like, oh yeah, that. Both women say writing the song was a spiritual experience, and it also led to a Grammy and an Oscar nomination. It is Diane Warren's eighth Academy Award nomination in a remarkable three-decade-long career. If I could while you may not know her name, you do know her songs. Diane Warren has provided the words and melodies for some of the biggest voices in music. Every time someone sings my song, I'm really excited because it sounds a lot better than me singing them, because I suck. I was here. I know what my job is. I know what my gig is. My job is to write a great song. 
She is a songwriting machine. Warren has written more than 250 top 100 hits. 70 of them have cracked the top 10. I mean, you've worked with everyone. Faith Hill, Christina Aguilera, Celine Dion, Ricky Martin. There's country people, there's pop people, there's R&B people. So this is the studio? Yeah. When we visited her studio, she told us she writes at least one new song every week. How many unrecorded hits do you think you have? A lot. A lot. I really do. That's like a hundreds, lot. dozens? Dozens, dozens, dozens and dozens, yeah. That are better than some of the songs that I've had hits with. Really? Yeah. Her songs tend to touch on some common themes. You are associated with all these love songs. Yeah. But romance is not your particular strong suit. No, I sleep with a cat. <laughs> I do. I love my cat. That's I know. very direct. Like, I just haven't been, like, in love, the kind of love, like, that I want to sit and hear you breathe, like, and I don't want to miss a thing. I don't want someone to stay up and hear me breathe either. I'd be like, really? I could stay awake just to hear you breathing. But it sounds good in the song, and, like, people, like, love it. It's a great opening line, but, like, I could stay awake just to hear you breathing. Ugh. <laughs> her true love is her work. She's been writing songs since she was 14 while growing up in a suburb of Los Angeles. Warren was always intrigued by the unfamiliar names on records and realized those were the songwriters. Her dad bought her a guitar, but her mom did not think songwriting was a real career. That only fueled Warren's ambition. Her first big breakout hit came in 1985, when she helped Motown group DeBarge find the rhythm of the night. For 30 years now, Warren has written many of her songs inside this room at her office in Los Angeles. This is intense. <laughs> I've been here a long time. Um, I mean, this yeah. is like an episode of Songwriter Hoarders. <laughs> I love that. This is a time capsule. That black shelf was knocked down during an earthquake in 1994. She says she doesn't move anything because of a combination of superstition and laziness. Thank you for showing us this because I understand you don't let people come no, in here. No, you guys are like, this is, doesn't happen. <laughs> this is an exclusive. <laughs> the exclusive writing room. called the song whisperer. <laughs> Do you like that? I love that because I think I am. You know, I think when I when I meet with with an artist, I kind of can feel it. You know, I feel what that right song is. Even when the artist doesn't, Cher had no time for what would become one of her signature songs. If I could turn back time. Cher hated it. I, I, I hated the song. I got on my knees and held her leg and I go, I will not let go of your leg until you say you will try the song. She goes, she goes, F you, Diane. You know, when I believe in something, I just, I, I don't, I can't stop because I don't know how to stop. Warren doesn't seem to mind that Lady Gaga turned out to be just as tenacious. 
but I'm always <laughs> trying to make people uncomfortable <laughs> and take them out of the comfort zone of what they create and try to encourage them to change their process to see what will happen when you are doing something that you don't expect of yourself. And that's, I think, yeah. what made this song great in the end is there's, there's like a chaos, but a resolve. And that's us. Yeah. Chaos, chaos, Absolutely. and resolve. Tell me, hold your head up, hold your head up, and be strong. She is just insanely <laughs> talented. I thought you said, like she's just, she's it just <laughs> insane. Lee Townsend. Lee Townsend. <laughs> and that crazy talent is what has made Diane Warren such a force in music without ever singing a note. But it's always going to be about one thing. What? The song. It comes down to the song, and it always will. Next. Delicious. A hot. That's the best. Juicy. Mm. Sexy. Serving of dessert. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. Could dessert possibly be better than sex? Anna Warner has visited a couple who say just maybe. Darling, you. In Key West, Florida, as the sun sinks low, it's time to light the candles and set the mood at a restaurant perfect for Valentine's Day. Last week, for most people, was the Super Bowl. But you say that this week is your Super Bowl. Absolutely. Because... We just fit the theme of romance. Because Lynn and Danny Johnson's romantic restaurant specializes in desserts. Delicious. That's the best. Creamy, caramel, and chocolate confections. Mm. Unbelievable. That just might be the best you've ever had. So the name of your restaurant is? Better Than Sex, a dessert restaurant. And is it? No. <gasps> well, no, nothing should be. Although we did talk to some people here who said that it was better than some yeah. of the sex. <laughs> oh, boy. That they had. <laughs> it's a restaurant born out of a love story. Len and Danny met while working in the restaurant business, then decided to open a dessert restaurant after Danny made her husband an Oreo cookie cake from scratch. What was his reaction when he tried it? His jaw dropped. He was silent, yeah. which is rare. And <laughs> he said the words, I'll never forget. Right. If you can do this, what else can you do? This yeah, is delicious. Turns out, a lot. And in keeping with the restaurant's theme, these tempting treats come with names to arouse your interest. It's called the morning after. This one right here is the tongue bath truffle. Between my red velvet sheets cheesecake. You said this is your favorite. It's my favorite. I am a dark chocolate lover. This dark chocolate cake with chocolate filling infused with Guinness stout... It's a huge bite. <laughs> ...proved too irresistible not to try. Oh, take my. How long does it take you to make all of this? Days. Each Valentine's Day, Danny goes all out with a special dessert plate loaded with as many variations as you could ever want, appropriately named 
This is the nymphomaniac. It is. It is. And it looks like a dessert lover's dream. Thank you. It does. It's a plate to share, we think. I have actually, in years past, had people finish it themselves. To really? each his own. All Whatever that? makes them happy, yes. And why stop with dessert? Here, even the wine glasses are dipped in chocolate. I'm not even a wine drinker, and this is delicious. Darling, you it seems people just can't get enough. Better than sex has become so popular, the Johnsons opened a second restaurant in Orlando in December. Just try to resist. We dare you. The restaurant is better than sex, but it sounds like actually people consider this very romantic. Absolutely. Yeah. That's what we want. That's what we're trying to portray. That's what dessert is. I mean, it gives you pleasure. And dessert is a reason to celebrate. Old me tell you. Ahead. Most peculiar moment in my life. Movies for lovers. Looking for that perfect Valentine's Day movie to share with someone special? David Edelstein would just love to offer some suggestions. I wanted to suggest some less well-known recent love stories to watch this Valentine's Day in theaters or on video, but nothing in the Nicholas Sparks factory warehouse stirred my fancy. That said, love, true love, transcends time, right? In the three films I picked, with a vengeance. I'll start with the most recent, from 2004, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, a sci-fi comedy with Jim Carrey and Kate Winslet that begins post-nasty breakup and shows how impossible it is to purge the love of your life from your mind even if the technology existed and how you shouldn't want to, no matter how much you want to kill them. Even more transcendental is 1980's Somewhere in Time, a time travel fantasy where playwright Christopher Reeve recognizes his soulmate, an actress played by Jane Seymour, except she's long dead. His journey into the past is heart-stirring and heartbreaking. It has one of the most romantic first kisses ever. And, okay, it's kind of drippy. Just go with it. Finally, when people ask, what's your favorite movie ever? I say Preston Sturgis's screwball masterpiece, The Lady Eve from 1941. See anything you like? <laughs> Barbara Stanwyck is the virtuoso steamboat con artist who snares Henry Fonda as a poor little rich egghead, a sap, but she falls for him for real and loses him and gets him back by, it's complicated and hilarious and nightmarish, too, because juvenile infatuation is great, but there's more to love than what we see. You see, Hopsy, you don't know very much about girls. The best ones aren't as good as you probably think they are, and the bad ones aren't as bad. Not nearly as bad. There you are, three movies about having to jump through a lot of hoops, cerebral, temporal, logical, to learn the meaning of love. They'll linger in your mind long after those roses have turned to dust. I'm Charles Osgood. Please join us again next Sunday morning. Till then, I'll see you on the radio.
If you like CBS Sunday Morning with Jane Polly, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at wondery.com survey.